Well, good evening, LCM. Good evening. Tonight is June 9th, 2022, and the title of today's message is, wait for it, you are still not special. Come on, say that with us. <laughs> you are still not special. Oh, come on. We have learned from Sunday's message that we in ourselves are not special. The truth is that at best, we are weak, pathetic, fallible men who are in the hands of a great and very special God. None of us in this room tonight have the ability to become sages, that the sages that God intends in our own power. The Son of God can do nothing of Himself. There is inherently nothing in us that makes us more or less attractive to be a sage candidate than the person next to us. Nothing. Nothing that makes you more attractive to be a sage. But thank God that He is good and He's imparting to us godly wisdom in each season of our life. So that we can become true sages and crush the pseudo-sage mentality and tendencies that are prevalent in us. Let's go to Psalm, uh, James 3.13. It says, Who is wise in understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life. By deeds done in the, in the humility that comes from wisdom. Now, this passage is very clear. Let him show it by his good life. By the deeds. Not the words, the deeds. So you have a life. And you have deeds. And you have a life that is actually characterized by deeds. Deeds not done one time. Deeds done repetitively. Deeds done one, once and over and over again. That's a lifetime of seasons establishing this. Whoever is a sage, let him show it by his good deeds. Not recognized by words, but by your deeds. Things that you have received, you have implemented, and it shows up in our walk. Look, we learned that a sage is special because of the many seasons of life that he has been through, which produced in him godly discernment. The many seasons. This passage couldn't be any more clear in James 3.13. Whoever's a sage, let him show it by his life and his deeds. We want to turn to 1 John, verse 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And this is going to develop kind of an attitude and tenor for our message. Say there when you're there. This one. Listen to how John opens up his letter. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Man, we love the book of John because of how simply he puts things into perspective. We can only testify, and he's opening his letter, we can only testify that which we have heard, 
that which we have seen, that which we have looked upon and actually touched with our hands. If we have not experienced, then how can we testify to it? What we are learning is that a true sage-like testimony that is special, it has experience behind it. That's all we have is our experience with the Father and how we testify to that. A testimony with no experience falls flat and is worthless in the end. It's not actually a testimony because it hasn't, it doesn't have an experience behind it. Come on, LCM. Pull up that slide, please. Now, this is one of the quotes from one of my favorite messages. Message called Soldier. Where a pastor told us, I don't want to just read about the menu when I can eat the meal. We're not going to just read the menu when we talk about the things of God. A sage actually experiences, he tastes the things of God. So tonight, just to be clear, we're not just going to read the menu. We're actually going to engage with the things that are saved, we're going to engage with the things of God, and a, a, a pleasant surprise is He's going to engage with us. Amen. Now, do you do you want to eat of that meal? You just want to read the menu. Amen. Tell them, Spence. All right. So, looking at this slide, talking about the flow of shalom. Did y'all love that word from Sunday? Yes. That was a life-changing word. We have been learning through our current series about the order of Shalom as demonstrated in 1 Corinthians 11 and Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Raise your hands if you are reading Genesis like you never have before. Yeah. Me too. Because God is, God is teaching us in this church. We know that at the fall, rebellion started happening at every level in the order of creation. At every level where God had made it, rebellion started to take place. It started in the order of headship, but we also have the promise that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under whose feet? Under our feet, LCM. God is the head, and he is special. He is pouring into Christ at an amazing level, and Christ receives from God. Christ is the head of man, and he is also very special. He pours into man, and man receives from Christ. Man! You are not special yet, but you have the potential to become special when you receive special things and pass them down, when they flow through you. You cannot implement anything that you have not received or it's been imparted to you. That is why we're not looking just to know about these things. We're not looking to just know about the, the five characteristics of masculine, uh, masculine uh, holiness we're actually wanting to partake of these things. We're wanting to experience them so that we can pass them on. In order to have anything to offer, we are going to have to receive it through our experiences with the Father. His word and his spirit. Your experience with God is intended to be transferred to others through you so that they can experience what you receive. In fact, let's read James 1, 17 through 18. Let's do it. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Now, you've heard us say that you're not special, but you can receive very special things from your head. Yeah. What's happening here is that our interaction with the Father, our actual engagement and encounter with Him, causes us to receive 
causes us to have things imparted into us. When we engage with our head and truly come face to face with him, there is a transaction that goes on. There is something of him from the father of lights that is imparted into us, not very special human beings. We become special when, our, when we interact with our head. And that interaction where he imparts something gives us something that now we must impart to others. That happens as we also interact with those underneath us, yeah, yeah. with those that are beneath our authority. And we're surpassing down, not things because we speak about him, not things because we think about him, but because we have heard, touched, seen, experienced it, and now we're transferring it to those underneath us. It's an actual transfer that is going on. Now, this is what comes down from the Father of Lights. But we have learned about a true sage lately. You heard about him in, on Tuesday. Let's go to Ezra 710. Come on. All right, so we're going to pick up something that we learned Tuesday night. And the reason we want to do that is because M Ezra demonstrates this perfectly. Ezra 710 says, For Ezra had set, he devoted his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it, as the ESV says, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Church, these three components, Ezra studied the law. Ezra not only just read a book, he interacted with God's character through interaction with the word. He experienced God as he read his holy word. And not only did he experience God, he did it. He implemented, he received rightly, and it transformed him, and it caused a change in him. And it didn't just stop there. It flowed on to those under him. He also taught the law. He passed on what he experienced, what he implemented, and it resulted in a proper transferal to those under his dominion. Tonight, we want to talk to you about the importance of this cycle in our lives. It all starts, say it all starts. it all starts, it all starts with experiencing God. It then moves to how we implement what we are experiencing in our own lives. And then it moves to how we apply what we have experienced and implemented to those under our care. These three specific ex areas, experience, implementation, and transferal, they are all interconnected and dependent on one another. You can't have one and not the other two. You can't have two and not one. They are all interconnected and dependent. What you receive or experience from the Lord will and should show up in what you are implementing in your daily lives. What you are implementing will show up in application to those under you. Who the Father is to you should become to others. Now, failing to experience God or failing to interact with him, or connect with him, will ultimately fail to show up in your implementation of godliness. To fail to implement the character of God that you see in his word and experience in his spirit will result in a total failure to transfer godliness to those under you. Church, the truth is, oftentimes this failure shows up first in those under our care. It's noticeable first in them before it is even obvious in our own lives. Because we are often deceived about ourselves until it shows up in those under us. Tonight, we are going to take stock of our in inventory. 
tonight, we are going to fully know where our flocks are. In the examination of those under our authority, our wives, our children, even the animals in our care, we may be able to discover where we have failed to experience God's dominion in our own lives and therefore fail to transfer it. In our examination, we may discover where we have failed to implement God's cultivation in our own lives and therefore fail to transfer it. We may find that we have failed to properly understand how we experience God's saving character and by doing so, dull our proper understanding of how to carry it out. We want to start by examining God's dominion in his word. And then we're going to interact with it. We're going to experience tonight. And then we're going to do the same with God's cultivation and his saving. Come on, y'all with us? We're going to open up to y'all tonight. So y'all got to be with us. Y'all got to be in lockstep with us. Turn, turn to Deuteronomy 7.6. Let's interact with how God demonstrates dominion because that's who we should determine what dominion is from, right? God is the one who determines what dominion is. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. Church, Deuteronomy 32.9 says that the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted inheritance. This is how our father sees those under his authority. They belong to him. Yes, they make mistakes. Yes, they are fallible. Obviously so. But God owns them, and he owns you. They are his treasured possession. He does not leave his treasure lying around like trash. He doesn't leave his treasure dumpster diving. He protects it. He watches over it day and night. He is our help. He is constantly aware of where it is and what state it is in. Do you truly know how God sees you? Interact with that revelation. The, the people of God are his treasured possession. Knowing that this is what God thinks about you, how do we respond to that? Come on. How should we respond? Let's go to Malachi 1.6. You know, indeed, his treasure is in his possession. Yeah. We are his treasured possession. Malachi 1.6 says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? Wow, this, this verse is awesome. It divides God's character into two. It says, if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Yeah. Knowing that I, I am his treasured possession. Knowing that he handpicked me, chose me, and made me his. How should it make me respond? Well, I am going to give him all honor. I, I am going to treat him as a master. I am going to actually submit wholly to him. Knowing that I am his, it makes me want to give him it all. All, all my dreams, all my possessions, those underneath me, the things that I think about, my opinions, my desires, everything I want to submit under him. He is my father. He is also my Lord. And I, we need to respond rightly to what he, how he sees us. Do you truly see yourself as a, his treasure possession? Because that, that will determine everything about how you respond to him. I... I Seriously, if we, if we go through our days feeling not 
in his possession and feeling not like his treasure, it will determine how we actually lead our life. It will determine how sagely we are. We are his treasure possession. Let's, let's respond to him appropriately. So knowing how God feels about you, knowing how God has dominion over you, areas like personal time, my finances, my own opinions, my dreams, my own desires, they become corrected with that proper experience with God's dominion. Because we understand if he is master over all the earth, he has dominion over all the earth, and yet he chose me, nothing in my life belongs to me. It belongs to my master. It belongs to my father. It belongs to my dominator because I want to honor him. I am his treasured possession. But oftentimes there's a break in that. Oftentimes there's a break in your experience with dominion. And therefore there's a break in implementation of dominion in your life. We fail tremendously often to operate under God's dominion. And in turn, we cannot take dominion of those under us. You see, a neglect in taking dominion over those under us is directly resulted from a break in experiencing God's dominion over us and implementing it rightly. Come on, that is true. In my walk, can I be transparent for you? Yeah. In my walk, I often struggle in my response to God's dominion. I know that my life belongs to him. In fact, he's proven that to me, that I am his. He's proven it over and over again. And yet, there are areas of my life that I still consider mine. I still catch myself thinking that my time belongs to me. And how could anything impede on my time? I often fight for my right to have personal time. I can even be so bold as to become arrogant and thinking that my calling is actually my calling. This break in my experience and my implementation of God's dominion doesn't just stop with me, though. And that's what we're going to understand tonight. It doesn't just stop with me. It transfers to those under me. It transfers to my wife and from there to my kids. See, what happens is when I'm breaking with my experience in God's dominion, I tend to overlook selfishness in my household. And I oftentimes become lax in my dominion in my house because I'm not serious about God's dominion in my life. This tendency shows up in an apathy and laziness towards those under my care because I act like God is so sovereign that it will all work out anyway. And that's not what I've originally received from the Lord. No, he cares about the smallest, most detailed areas of my life because I am his and he has dominion over me. Church, that is an honest reflection of actually engaging with the concept of dominion. Actually peering into the, the things in our lives that we know that we are under the dominion of God, but that area of our life is not under the dominion of God. That really, saying it out loud doesn't really make sense, but it is how we live at times. In my life, I'm learning to respond to God's dominion rightly in what I do on a day-to-day -day basis. You know what that means? That means what I do on a day-to-day -day basis, I'm talking about my daily habits, the things that I do from day-to-day -day with, with myself personally, with my wife, with my children, and with my job, they have not been under the dominion of Christ. They have not been under the dominion of my dominator. All the while, I myself claiming I'm under dominion. You see how those things have to come under alignment 
And that is why God is continuing to rep these concepts in us because he doesn't want, to ju- want us just to know it. He wants us in biblical shalom so that his power can flow through it. Genesis 3, 18 through 19, and we're not going to go there, but it promises that a man would eat by the sweat of his brow. But at times it seems to me like I'm just expecting his dominion to fall in my lap. Like I shouldn't actually have to work, shouldn't have to actually have to strive and strain to hear from him as my Lord. Lord, what do you want me to do today? Lord, I got sales calls. I got places to go. Lord, how do you want me to accomplish this? And this is taking the sweat off of my brow. Both eyebrows are sweating, trying to work to actually bring these areas under God's dominion. But you know what's not going to happen if I don't actually work at that? My wife's not going to get it. She, she's not going to get it. Our kids aren't, aren't going to get it. And there will be complete chaos. That's why I'm so thankful that our faithful father is allowing us to come into uh, contact, confrontation with these truths. See, this happens in my life as I'm engaging with these concepts when I realize that I've defined what dominion is. I've actually defined what the biblical male is, but not by the Bible, not by the word, not by the way that he says it. And my definition of what it looks like to dominate, my definition of what it looks like to be a man is coming into contact with the word of God. And let me tell you, he is crushing it. God is crushing it. And it is a beautiful thing. I'm finding out that it doesn't work like that, that every area of my life must come under his dominion. And when that happens, when every area has come under his dominion, I will be able to rightly show dominion to my wife. And she'll be able to rightly show dominion to our children. And that is how it is passed on through the generations. We have to engage and respond to God's dominion in all these areas. He's not content with us just knowing about it. He's going to make sure that we actually get it. But in him making sure that we actually get it, it requires us to work. Oftentimes I'll find myself, Lord, transform me. Lord, transform me. But I'm not actually looking to sweat from my brow and actually work at what I know that he is doing. Church, it's not going to be us when we leave this room. Well, I'm not going to leave these two guys alone sharing their heart. And if you haven't been able to relate with them yet, hopefully you'll relate with me here. Oh, you're going to get it. All right. So our father is the example of dominion. All right. We learn it from our head. Now, sometimes there's just a broken link with me. Right? Like, our father could single-handedly rule the entire earth, right? But he takes dominion and he puts people on dominion. He does it. He didn't, even have, he didn't have to do it, but he does it. But I, I operate sometimes in pride-based dominion. Meaning, I, for me to be in dominion, I have to be doing everything. I have to be the one that is establishing everything. Making the, all of it. All of it. It's me. Why? Because I am in dominion. Not, not anybody else. I'm the best at this. I cannot relegate these things to anybody. So, so I have to do this over and over again. No, that's not a good head. That's not how the father does it. He puts people in charge and he empowers them to take dominion. How about fear-based dominion? Oh, man. Sometimes I feel like I'm an obnoxious, fearful, control freak, right? I am, instead of actually delegating and, and having dominion established that way, Right? I'm, I'm fearful that mistakes will be done. Right? I'm fearful that things will not happen the way I intended them to. That's just you, Carlos. Oh, maybe. 
That's not true. But the fact that the Father gives room for you to make mistakes is an example of how to actually take dominion. You don't take dominion by, by micromanaging every little piece of your home so that your wife feels like you are a control freak and she cannot do anything with you. That's actually hard to live with. And that's not your father. That's why you sin sometimes. Because he gives you freedom to make mistakes. Now, how about the confidence to actually take dominion? To know that when things are not going to the plan, you're still the head of your household. You're still in charge. God put you there. It doesn't change anything. You have to have faith that this will happen according to his word. And you're going to stand and joyfully and immovably stand on the convictions and instead of what God has shown you. Nobody has put you down from your throne because God is still in, your, in his throne. You are the head of your household whether you're facing difficulties, whether there's conflict, whether there's opposition or not. Now, how about our lack of drive for dominion? Hey, look, nobody, nobody, nobody usually wakes up saying, hey, I'm going to give up all my dominion. Everything that I got, I'm just going to throw it into the trash. Satan can have it, right? But... Sometimes we wake up without the actual desire, fervent desire to hold, to guard, and to take dominion. And when you don't do that, you're actually giving up dominion. It's happened to me personally. You wake up lackadaisical. You wake up like, oh, you're, gonna, you're just going to coast through it. You give away dominion. That's the recipe for lack of dominion. Church, this is what it looks like to be a pseudo-dominator. This is what it means to still not be special. Notice that it starts from receiving and implementing his dominion. But if there's a break in there somewhere, it's going to show up in how you transfer dominion to those under you. Thank God he's giving us the remedy tonight. Come on. We can become special by going back to the source, the head, repairing the break in shalom where it first occurred and responding to God's dominion in our lives and implementing it rightly. Now let's discuss cultivation. Again, the first part of cultivation is to actually experience cultivation. The only way that we will ever cultivate like God does is if, is if cultivation is defined by him and we are receiving it. Let's go to John 15, 1 through 2. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Church, this is Jesus, our head, directly, pashatly stating how his father cultivates and how every vine in him will be cultivated. In this passage, you can see the intentionality with which God cultivates. You can see that he doesn't, he's not lackadaisical towards the approach. He is intentional with us because he wants to cultivate so that we bear more fruit. With us, he is not unaware of the areas that need to grow. Thank God. And as a good cultivator, he intentionally addresses the areas of our hearts that need to be cultivated. Thank God. He doesn't leave us. He is so good at knowing what needs to be done too. If there is an area that needs to be watered inside of us, he wastes no time. He waters it with consistency. How many of you experienced the, the nourishing water of God? But if there's also an area of our hearts that need to be pruned, 
he wastes no time. He cuts it away because he knows what fruit he wants to bear. Church, he knows what he wants to bear in your lives. He's a good cultivator. Somebody say amen for the character of God. Hosea 6.1. That is who he is. That is his character. And Hosea, we're going to talk about how we respond to his character. Come or repent. Let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us that we may live in his presence. See, when the Lord is truly cultivating us, there are two pieces going on. There are two things going on. It's marked by these two. There is both injuring and tearing and also restoration and shalom as a result of his cultivation. That is how we respond to his character. Knowing this, knowing that this is how God actually cultivates, this is the real, this is the manly, this is the masculine holiness of our God, and this is what cultivation actually is. Anything that is not this is not actually cultivation. It's something else. It's pseudo. This is how he does it, and it inspires me to be like him in this way. That is when, that's when there is chaos in my life. God rightly tears it up, and me too in the process. It's a little bit of both. If there's chaos in my life, he's going to make sure that that gets destroyed, but also he's making sure that I feel the impact of that in my life so that he can actually restore me, so that he can actually set me back under his dominion, back under right shalom, so that I can let that flow through me to my family. This causes me to want to embrace the painful. Say embrace the painful. painful. Now, when the pastors talked about uh, you're not special uh, Sunday, did did that grate against any of y'all? We, 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 we talked about it a lot. We have to embrace the fact that you are not. I am not. But by actually walking in biblical shalom, that is what will make us special. This makes me want to respond rightly to the nourishing that my father is doling out. And to carry out what I am being watered with so that I can grow. So that my family can grow. Go to Isaiah 28 verse 24. Now... We've heard about how our father does it. This verse says, does he who plows for sowing plow continually? Does he who open and harrow his ground, when he has leveled its surface, does he not scatter dill, sow cumin, and put in wheat, in rows and barley in its proper place, and emmer as the border? For he is rightly instructed, his God teaches him. Now, Our Father's intentionality of cultivating is towards us, and that makes me feel really good. When he he revs up the intensity, it's tough, but it makes me feel really good. He is intentional towards me. But there's a skill to his cultivation. He doesn't just plow and level the soil of our hearts and and keep doing it continually. He doesn't just open and harrow the ground and, and keep doing it forever. He actually sows. He goes through, he's a multifaceted God and a perfect cultivator. His, his cultivation is perfect and so must ours be. So what our father does is that he actually keeps the, his eyes on the growth of the field. And whatever is required, that is what he will do. He's not just a pruner and neither should we be just a pruner. We, we like to use the scissors and chop things off only. Ta, 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 ta. 
And then, and then where's the watering? And when are you going to plant? Right? Is anything going to grow? You, we must become good at this. We must become perfect as our Father is perfect. There is skill. There is discernment. There is wisdom. When we are attached to our head, the last part of that verse says, For he is rightly instructed, his God teaches him. This is when we're attached to our head, he instructs us on how to cultivate downward, how to pass on his cultivation skills. You see, there's a beautiful thing when you understand, when you experience the cultivation of God. Has anybody in this room experienced the cultivation of God? When you understand who he is and how he cultivates, and then you implement it rightly, understanding who he is and how he cultivates ought to cause us to want to receive it. Yes. When I look at God's character and how he cultivates, man, I want to receive it. I want to, and I've had many times in my life where I have experienced God's cultivation, whether painful, whether nourishing, whether watering, or all at once, and it has been beautiful in my life. Oh, but just like there could be a break in you experiencing dominion, there can be a break in you experiencing cultivation from God, and it produces certain things in you. See, neglect of God's cultivation will cause you to be a pseudo-cultivator. Because it's breaking the flow between you and your connection to the head, who is Christ. You see, I have often royally screwed up this process in my life. And it didn't start, the, the screw-up didn't start with my ability to cultivate those under me. Many of you think that that's the problem, I need help, and how do I cultivate my wife? That's not where the problem starts. And that's not how it starts in me. It starts with me having a complete disregard to be cultivated by God. You see, through the course of my many years of following the Lord, I've once heard it said that you're not a man of God until you reach 60. You're a boy of God before that. Through the course of my many years of following the Lord, I have often developed, and I'm going to say it, a hatred of God's cultivation in my life. Now, I wouldn't say that publicly, although I am now. I wouldn't tell anybody that in the process. That's not who you are, brother. What it looked like is I found it a bit difficult, just a bit challenging, frustrating, to still recognize areas that need to be pruned in me. It's not that I think I'm perfect already. It's that I have grown to expect to be perfect, and therefore, when wickedness is revealed in my heart, I despise the revelation of it. This has shown up in emotions that may seem noble to some, like embarrassment, I'm just embarrassed, or shame, I'm so ashamed of what has been found in me, or even self-loathing. But in the end, what I really am is angry because I still need cultivation. And in my stubbornness, I end up wanting to reject his pruning and his nurturing at the same time. This also shows up in my pride towards God. By not daily returning to his word and remaining in his spirit because I think I already have all I need. I'll just go with the last thing I got and expect God to do the rest. You see, this break in experiencing and implementing God's cultivation in me, it always shows up in a complete neglect to cultivate those under me. Because I hate the pruning process, I don't want to add on to that the difficulty of pruning those under my care. Because I am not pressing in to stay nourished in his word, well, I'm not going to nourish those under me. Now I know 
that I can be very good at looking like I'm doing these things. But in the end, the fruit has often shown which tree it came from, a pseudo-cultivator in me that needs to die. Man, oh man. Can I share with my family the areas of my life that, I, that I've got this wrong with the Lord is showing me? Is that all right with you? Of course it is. In this area of cultivation, like Brother Teresa said, usually, or one way that you see it is that you don't actually see it in yourself, but you see it in those under you. Then you go to correct it, and then you're like, yeah, but I mean, I can't believe that. But then you realize, like, no, they got it from me. No, this is what I do. Always. This is how I respond. By the way, you men would do well to listen to the corrections your wives get because they're intended for you as well. You'd actually grow if you listen and implement the corrections your wives get. Because who has ownership of that? Now, even if I express my love for God's cultivation, like, the Lord's really turning this over in my heart. He's really doing something, even if I express that. What I found in specific areas of my life, areas centered around the seriousness and gravity of how I must respond to the word that he's given us, how we must respond to the call that he's given our family. What I found is a tendency, not look, looking back, I, I didn't catch it before, looking back I found a tendency, a tendency to make light of it. It shows up when there is uh, something, uh, a tense, a, a tense, uh, you, you, can, you can taste it in the air, the, the, the tense nature of what's going on. Just a desire to make a joke, bring some, some levity to the conversation or some, some levity to the direction that's going forth. And this is from me to somebody else. Or this is when in a team we're correcting somebody or my wife. Just need a little levity to, make them, to let them know that I, I don't hate them. What I've actually found is that I do that with God. See, there is something to say about being joyfully immovable and being joyful in what God is doing. But if we're looking for levity and a, 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 a joke when there's actually something that is shameful going on, when we laugh while God is trying to point out something and cultivate something in us, that is wicked. That is pseudo-cultivation. And it produces bad fruit. I like to relieve the tension and not let the weightiness of the responsibilities sit until the point of transformation. That is important. Until the point where something actually changes. Oh, oh let, let me... Let me help you out with that. Let me, let me lift that. That's not cultivation. That's pseudo-cultivation. And you know what it does? It leaves me unchanged. And it leaves those I'm cultivating unchanged. But our Father's not going to let us stay that way. See, I'm comfortable with addressing it. But not to the extent that it actually changes the sinful behavior. That's masquerading as an angel of light. This stems from having my own definition of what cultivation is. That, you know, I, I got from one-fifth of the word, but not the totality of God's word and not the totality of his character. See, we, not knowing, we grow up defining what we think a biblical man is, what a, what a godly man is, but it's not, it doesn't come from the word. God is helping us in LCM. He is helping us in our homes, and he is helping us in our families to actually know what it means to be a biblical man, to know what it means to receive cultivation and actually restoration and then dole out 
real cultivation so that whoever you're cultivating is restored to God. Amen. Or maybe, maybe, maybe sometimes we just feel like God is just a hard man. You know, like the man in the parable of the talents, he says, I knew you to be a hard man. You were reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. That's how you're relating to his cultivation. So I was afraid and went and hid the talent in the ground. You know, we, we will not jump out and say, yeah, God is a hard man. He's trying to reap something that he hasn't sown in me. But then we sit at work or we, we're, wherever we're at and we just have a, 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 no, the inability to smile. We're just, joy has gone out the window. I can be at work and just be, what the heck is going on today, Father? I'm not having joy. I am not understanding his cultivation. And I'm probably thinking that God is wanting to reap something that he hasn't sown for in my life. And then, because that's how I relate with him, then I start being that hard man to others. Then I start requiring things and I haven't sown either. So what, looks, what it looks like is I get really mad at my children or at my wife or at people under me because they're not producing what I expect them to produce. Well, guess what? I haven't sown. I haven't worked. I haven't done the due diligence because my relation with my father is saying that he's a hard man. And even though I wouldn't say it, I am passing that down. Now, maybe, maybe you're That's also you, like brother. me when I think I'm actually cultivating my family really, really strongly. I think so well of myself. I'm like, yes, I'm getting this. My children, my four daughters, my wife, my dog, everything is going on. Not, not like Judah's dog. I mean, my, I, but my everybody. I'm cultivating everybody, and I'm thinking really highly of myself there. And so when I think of cultivating somebody else, I'm always thinking cultivating externally, right? Doing for others, right? And then I'm driving in my car, and a guy stops, gets off his car, comes, yells at me. And in that moment, I also throw a rant and start yelling at him. Where did that come from? I don't know. But you know what, I, what, it, what it happened? That I planted seeds, I cultivated seeds in my family that I shouldn't have. Because I was, I was thinking of cultivating them when I was the one that needed cultivation. I was the one that needed to be cultivated in the moment to respond rightly. And instead, I cultivate weeds that I shouldn't have. And you know what's worse? That it takes me two days to come to actual facing that I should have actually accepted my error and asked forgiveness. And so I'm cultivating all kinds of things while thinking about cultivating others. And I'm not allowing myself to be cultivated. Are you tracking with me? Yeah. Okay. Somebody say those are pseudo-cultivator tendencies. That's okay. You can say it about us. But church, are you already starting to see the answer to these pseudo-cultivator calamities? I want to say it plainly that if there's a break in your ability to cultivate rightly, that means there's a break in your experience with God's cultivation in your own heart. And that means there's a break of God's cultivation and implementing it in your own heart. But thank God, we are going to get that right tonight. Amen. We're going to move on to Savior, and I'm going to tell you this is getting good. Exodus 14, 29. Say there when you're there. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. 
And when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and Moses, his servant. Man, somebody say, God is such a good Savior. Oh, man. Say it like people who are actually saved. (laughs) We see some amazing attributes of how God saves in this passage. He demonstrates through his word and his actions in our lives exactly how he saves us. In this passage, he demonstrated to the Israelites that he, was, he has the power to save them immediately from death. Say immediately. immediately. When his people are heading towards a calamitous situation, he will step into the situation and save them in his power. This shows up in our lives when we are headed right towards a wall of death and God speaks into our lives and saves us immediately. But something else is fascinating about this passage that you might notice that God was the one who put the Israelites in this situation. He has the power to save you immediately, but he also put the Israelites in this situation. He knows how to allow his people to suffer extreme difficulties of what, because of what those difficulties will produce, and in those difficulties, save them through refinement. Our God is multifaceted and incredible. Yep. He knows how to save you in a moment when you're heading towards death, but he also knows how to let you suffer through the difficulties and save you through refinement. Come on. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 2. It says, Now I will remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Church, he is the God of our past, he is the God of our present, and he is the God of our final, complete salvation. He is saving us from death, surely, but not from the difficulties that actually make us dependent on him. Difficulties, hardships, and persecutions are not what we are being saved from. I repeat, are not what we are being saved from. Those things are what is perfecting us. This is how our loving Father, the one who has all the wisdom that one can ever has, this is how he chooses to save us. So how do we save? How do we reflect him? We must do the very same things. Knowing how God saves is everything for me. When I am in a situation where I'm stumbling towards death and don't know it, I want to respond to his voice. I don't want my heart to harden and force God to use extreme measures. Even though I'm sorry, he has to sometimes. I also want to persevere in the difficulties that he is putting me in so that I can be saved through it. So that the areas of my life that are hidden may be exposed. And this is what I pass on to my wife and she passes on to our children. All right. Let's start grappling with this again. Well, there's nothing more fake than a pseudo-savior who is in himself saved, right? But let me put it in a way that you can um, relate with it. A pseudo-savior then isn't being saved, right? People, to people like this, Yeshua told him this, Hypocrites! You travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make, it, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. This is a pseudo-savior, not saved, wanting to save. Well, unfortunately, let me tell you, that has been me, all right? 
I have been in a place where I am not being saved. I have been blind to the areas of my life where I needed saving, yet I am saving everybody. I am, I am bringing salvation to the world, baby. I am doing this, Father, to my home, everywhere I'm going, and yet I am not being saved. Well, how does salvation actually happen? Because Yeshua told us to actually, we have to die and be resurrected. Yeah. Salvation isn't getting saved from the death to the flesh that must happen. Salvation is death to the flesh and resurrection in the life right now. Amen. Now, we're, we're, we're very accustomed to dying in our own private closets. <laughs> hey, I'm sorry for this. I'm sorry for that. I, my thoughts, everything. And, and you put it in your own closet and you leave it there. And that, that what's, say, what's in your closet comes back up in your closet. Yeah. And when you walk out your closet. Actual death, like Yeshua's, actual resurrection, like Yeshua's, happens in public. Actual death in public benefits those who see you die. And actual resurrection in public benefits those who see you resurrect. Amen. This is the essence of being saved. You are a living testimony of His salvation power. And you know what happens? Now you've got a testimony. Now you've got a witness. And now you can truly save. Now you can call people to repentance. Because I've done it in public. And you can do it too. And He will save you today, tomorrow, and over again. So knowing that you becoming a Savior is directly related to how you're experiencing salvation, let's connect all this for you. I'll connect it for you in my own life. I have realized through much, much pain, the areas that I have neglected God saving in my own life. I have often hardened my heart to, and, and refused to hearken to the voice of the pastors, my friends, and God in my life. My pride has circumvented God's salvation many, many times. And in the end, I met the consequence that God was trying to help me steer away from. I have also neglected many times in his desert-like situations that were intended on saving me from false dependency. And instead, I resorted to complaining about waiting for God's promise or allowing my heart to become cold or indifferent to him because I am not satisfied with the situation he puts me in. Can anybody relate to that? Yeah. Grumbling and complaining about how God chooses to save us? This vileness in so me harsh. usually is a little less noticeable to others, but not for long, as it directly results in me being a pseudo-savior to those under me. I ignore God's warning, so therefore I tend to completely become blind to the things that are causing death in those around me, wow. and failing to address them, because I'm ignoring God's warning to me. I am uncomfortable or discontent with my surroundings, which really means I hate my circumstances. And so therefore, instead of demanding or encouraging endurance through difficulties to those around me, I empathize with them and I join in the grumbling. Oh, oh, you're offended? Well, tell me about it because maybe I'm offended too. Oh, you're grumbling about that? Well, tell me about it because I'm dissatisfied as well. Let's grumble together and make it everybody else's fault but ours. You see, church, pseudo-saviors are made in the way that they ignore the experience of God saving in their life, and they fail to implement it. But we are going to return to the source tonight. Come on. Yeah. Come on. 
Tonight we have displayed with our lives what it looks like to be a pseudo-dominator, a pseudo-cultivator, and a pseudo-savior. We have illustrated that a neglect and correct application means that there is a break in either the experience from God or the implementation of what we experience in our own hearts. But church, seasons of living in this break, well, it will make you one thing. It'll make you a pseudo-sage. You think you're a sage because you've lived a long time, but you've been ignoring the experience from God the whole time and ignoring the implementation, and it shows up all around us. We're going to be cautiously aware of what that is in the coming days. But tonight, we want to focus on what a real sage as we move briskly towards a close. Picking up in Hebrews 5.14, and I'm not waiting on you. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have had their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. See, the seasons of experience and practice are what trains our powers of discernment, not our age. The seasons of constant practice train our senses and our powers to overcome. Not just the amount of times that we've sat through it. The amount of times that we've engaged with the concepts. Amen. Sagely wisdom discerns between good and evil because of constant practice and implementation. Constant experience with the Father and putting these things into practice. Sages are those who have undergone seasons of experiencing and interacting with God's dominion, with his cultivation and glorying in his salvation in the midst of suffering. They have implemented the impact of these experiences to others. Like Ezra, who studied the law, who did the law. Because of this, he was able to transfer the impact of his, of his experience with the law to those around him and in his dominion. This multiplies sagely wisdom. When wisdom multiplies, something beautiful happens. You become something. Come on. So we have engaged with the fake areas of masculinity in our lives. And now, because I know you were ready for this, because we're looking forward to glory bearers, right? We're going to give you an appetizer. We're going to give you some hope. But, but you know, today's message is you're still not special. We're waiting. We're waiting we're, because there's more wrestling time. This is pastoral. There's more that needs to be pruned. There's more that needs to be cut off. There's more. There's some waiting that needs to happen. We, don't, we can't want to move on to glory that fast without wrestling with that which needs to be cut off. But we're going to give you an appetizer. So Psalms 19 verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of the Lord, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Man, this is beautiful. This got me thinking, God's workmanship declares His glory. Yeah. Well, I am His workmanship, created for good works in Christ Jesus. I am made, and I am formed for His glory. I am like a painting for a painter. He, the painting is the glory of that painter. My father is working in me. My father is pruning me. He's cultivating me. He's raising me up. And I am becoming his glory. Amen. I am the glory of the father, of the glorious father, of the father of glory, if I actually embrace his work in my life. His dominion, his cultivation, and his saving in my life. But this is not where glory stops. 
1 Corinthians 11.3, you know this, that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of the Christ is God. And it goes on to tell you that the glory of God is man, and the glory of man is his wife. Yeah. Hey, I have a lady back there. Stand up, Patty. Stand up, buddy. You can do this. She, she is my bride. She is my wife. She is my glory. She is the bride of my life. She is my glory because she's also my workmanship. I am laying my life down for her to make her radiant, to make her blameless, and to make her perfect. If you ever wanted to see my glory, that's where she is. That's what she is. This is what I'm working on. This is my glory. I am proud of you like never before. I love you with all my heart, my baby. That brother goes to work. Doing it right now. She is my treasured possession. She is my glory and my plight. I take ownership in her. I love her and I work for her. And that's why she is my glory. You know, Carlos, I think that we're starting to catch a glimpse. Yeah. Like just a small light at the end of the tunnel. And I think we're starting to realize that sin is not the only thing that rolls downhill. What else, yeah. Because we are God's workmanship, as we experience his dominion, as we experience his cultivation, as we experience his saving in our life, and we implement what we are experiencing, we become the glory of God. Amen. Church, glory rolls downhill as well. Amen. This is what makes you special when you're experiencing, implementing, and transferring. When you experience God's glory, when you implement it in your life and then transfer it to your workmanship, your wife, she becomes your glory. She becomes special. When your wife experiences your dominion, your cultivation, and your saving, and then transfers it to her workmanship, to the kids, that makes the kids special. When your kids experience dominion, cultivation, and saving, and they implement it, and then transfer it, they will be special, and they will be the ones that put the kibosh on this creation. This is how we become glory bearers, and not pseudo-glory bearers, only carrying our own glory. But before we get there, because we're getting a glimpse, and it's exciting, right? Yeah. Something needs to be fixed in us first. You'll see them. My family. We're talking about right now is how to actually reflect the glory of God. But all that we've talked about tonight is you being able to recognize where there's been a break in that. If your uh, saviorship is being frustrated, it's because there's a break in the way that you are experiencing the Lord saving. If your cultivation is being frustrated and not actually producing transformation, it's because there's a break there. If your dominion is not being established to the point that those under you are responding rightly and doing the same that you're doing, there's been a break in your dominion. But praise God, he hasn't cut off the source. If we're talking about water lines, he hasn't just capped it. There's a valve there, and we have to open the valve. So what we're getting ready to do as we head briskly towards the close that's funny, but the weight 
of us not actually walking in biblical masculinity, in holy masculinity, that's not funny. Oh, that is weighty. That should bring a certain weight to you. But in that weight, in the recognition of what is actually there, there is hope. Because you can reconnect to the source. You can reconnect to him and what it actually means to walk under his dominion. You can actually reconnect with him and what it actually means to love the cultivation. And I promise you, if we reconnect with these things, if we open that valve, if we actually lay hands on what it looks like to actually walk under his dominion, that's going to flow down to your wife. And it's going to flow down to your children. Churches, we get ready to turn to Colossians 2. We want to tell you, we're going to go back and we're going to re-experience his dominion in every area of our life. We're going to go back and we're going to re-experience his cultivation in every area of our life. We're going to go back and we're going to glory in his salvation, even if it means we're shipwrecked out at sea. This is what we have to give to the generations that are coming under us. Our last scripture is Colossians 2, 18 through 19. And we have a slide for you because we wanted to display it in the scriptures version. And it's actually really good. We read the NIV, New King James, and this one said it like we wanted to say it. <laughs> Do we have that slide? I'm getting no's from the sound booth, so I'll just read it. I'll read it from here, from the scriptures, and you read it in your Bibles. Let no one deprive you of the prize. One who takes delight in false humility and worship of messengers. Taking his stand on what he has not seen. Puffed up by his fleshly mind. And not holding fast to the head. The NIV here says they have lost connection to the head. From whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the growth of Elohim. The NIV says it grows as God causes it to grow. Church, as we close, we want to interact with this passage personally. We are going to destroy tonight areas of our lives that delight in false humility. Humility that's false, taking a supposed lowly position. This shows up in not being a Lord, not being a dominator, instead being passive and apathetic, not being a cultivator, instead being lazy, distant, and disconnected, not being a savior, instead being an enabler, offering flattering words instead of challenging those around us. This is what false humi humility looks like. I'm just going to be the nice guy because I'm humble and I'm whatever. Instead of going into detail what we have not seen, we are going to ask God to change our hearts so that we only stand on what we have seen and received from Him. We read 1 John 1, 3 tonight. We testify that which we have held in our hands. We're going to ask God tonight to show us His character. We are going to have our puffed up fleshly minds transformed into sober minds that recognize the areas that we need to grow in. And most importantly... Say most importantly. most importantly, we need to restore the connection to our head tonight because that's where it all, all starts. 
I want to ask you, what areas have you neglected the dominion of Christ in your heart? What areas have you held back from him? What areas do you think are still yours and belong to you? I promise you that will show up in the way you take dominion in your home. What areas have you been resistant to the cultivation of Christ in your life? What areas that you know God is speaking to you? He's actually nourishing you. He's actually giving you what you need, but you're rejecting it because you refuse to be cultivated. I promise you that'll show up in a direct transferal to your home. A blindness in culture. I just didn't see that was in, in my wife's heart. You didn't see it was in your wife's heart because you didn't see it was in your heart. And you rejected the cultivation of God the entire way. What areas have you rejected the nature of God's saving as a masculine savior in your walk? What areas is God putting you into the desert but you're kicking and screaming and complaining? What areas... Is what areas that God is immediately trying to save you from? And there's some in this room that God is trying to get your attention, but you're just not hearing it. I promise you having that break in the experience that God intends you to have will show up in how you are a savior to your home. You'll complain with her about the difficult deserts. You'll ignore the areas that, that your home needs immediate saving in because you're ignoring the areas you need immediate saving in. As you come to the altar tonight, ask God to restore the connection between you and your head, Christ, so that you can be supported by God as you endeavor to support those under you and cause them to grow. Tonight, we're going to search our hearts. We're going to come to the altar and reflect on God's dominion, his cultivation, his saving, and we're actually going to interact with it. There's an area that you need to repent from. Get it right. But don't just get it right for you. Get it right for your home. Get it right for those around you. Get it right for under those, those under your care. Because there's glory to be held, church. This is not just about you. This is about those under you. And it's about bringing the entire creation under the order as we are receiving it from Christ. So as you stand, as you're making your way, Reflect on those areas that God is speaking to you in. Mighty God, we ask that you would reveal your character to us, Father. Lord, that you would cut past the pride, cut past the insecurity, cut past the fear, cut past everything that is blocking connection to the head. Lord, we, we ask tonight that you would bring us into 100%. 100% obedience to you. Lord, we ask you that you would empower us to transfer that obedience to our wives and our children under us.